Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Reliance Podcast. Join us Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock, 9.30, or 11. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Okay, so we are talking about pursuit. Um, we started this last week. Um, just some, some language that the Lord kind of put on our hearts for 2023, myself and, and a few others, was two specific words, seek and pursue. Seek and pursue. And I, I love this word, pursuit. Um, just something we're kind of passionate for, for for 2023. And so if you missed last week, we started this last week on January the 1st. Um, if you didn't make it on New Year's Day, we basically solved the world's problems. Amen? And this is how we did it. We read Amos 5.4, and Amos 5.4 says, this is what the Lord says, seek me and seek me and live. I was like, was it wrong up there? Did I seek me and live? Like, this is how we solve the world's problems. What does the Lord say? What, what are we supposed to do? Seek him and live. And then we read, of course, Hebrews 11.6, and it says that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. And so this language of seek and pursue is all through Scripture. Everything that you do in life physically, mentally, spiritually, all of it is contingent upon our pursuit. All of it is contingent upon a pursuit. And so what you'll find is there's this pursuit of the Lord in Scripture that sometimes we think the Lord's just going to find me or the Lord's just going to come to me and I don't have to do anything. And yet Jesus' brother James writes in the book of James, he says these words. He says, draw near. The Lord says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And so it's this movement together. It's not just, Lord, I'm going to stay here and you're just going to have to come and I'm not going to advance at all. I'm not going to do anything at all. There is a drawing near to the Lord that we're called to. Now there are moments where he says, be still and know that I am God. Amen? There are those moments. But so much of scripture is about seeking and pursuing. In fact, um, the word seek is used over 240 times. And the word pursue is used over 100 times in scripture. So you might say that these two action words are near and dear to the heart of God. I want to recap just for those who missed last week. The word seek in the Hebrew lexicon means to search out by any method. To search out by any method. This is what seek is, is meaning in scripture. When the word seek is used, it's to search out by any method. The word pursue means to find or employ measures to obtain or to accomplish. Okay, to find or employ measures to obtain or accomplish. And so what we read in scripture, and just to recap, is we read about men and women that are employing, employing any measure to get to, to touch, to be a part of who Jesus is. And so we use the, the story of the woman who was bleeding and she's crawling through the crowds. If you remember, the measure that she employed to get to Jesus was that she was willing to get down on her hands and knees in a crowded street with all sorts of people that had been walking there and animals that had been there. Whatever the mess was on the street, she was willing to get down hands and knees to just crawl through it to get to him, to touch the hem of his garment. And we know the story. She touched the hem of his garment and she was immediately healed. Amen. She employed a measure to say, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to you. We talked about also the woman who busts into a room where Jesus and a bunch of men are sitting, and she breaks the alabaster jar, and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And this was kind of our, our catapult moment from last week, 
is that this woman was going, whatever means necessary to get to your heart, Jesus, I'm willing to do it. So she's going to be under scrutiny, one for breaking in in that day where Jesus was sitting around with a bunch of men, then to come and sit at his feet. Everybody was saying things and they were stirred and they were angry, but Jesus wasn't. And here's the beautiful thing, if you remember, it doesn't say she opened the cap of the oil, poured a little bit out, screwed it back on, and saved it for later because it was really valuable. Her pursuit was whatever gets to your heart, it says she broke the bottle and anointed his feet. And we said, why did she break the bottle and not just unscrew the cap? Because once the bottle was broken, there was no return. You can't cap that thing now, it's all going to you, Jesus. This is the kind of pursuit that we're talking about when we read scripture. And we said these words, you pursue what you're passionate for. You pursue what you're passionate for. How many guys are Peyton Manning fans out there? Any Peyton Manning? Oh my gosh, one or two. Any Tom Brady? Nobody. Don't raise your hand, okay? So Tom, Patrick Mahomes, anybody? Yeah? Okay, all right, amen, yeah. So what you find with great quarterbacks that are breaking every record is this. We focus on the records. Wow, they're amazing. They walked on there and they're superstars. Let me tell you, they weren't always superstars. Somewhere along the line in their journey, from the time that they were young, something in them said, I want to be a great quarterback. I want to be a great doctor. I want to be a great whatever it is. What we don't see behind all of those records and those accolades and things is the day in, day out pursuit of how to get there. What you don't see is the time that, that, that Peyton Manning stayed in the film room and studied over and over and over all the defenses in place, reading the field like no one before him really, really did. I mean, Peyton Manning is one of those guys who could read the field just in a fantastic way. And what you'll see is his career and all of his goals and all of his pursuits and all of those things led then to him being very successful at what he did. All the things that we go after requires pursuit and effort, desire, drive, determination, and commitment. And here we are in church on a Sunday morning. So I'm just guessing the majority in here, maybe a few of you trickled in. You're like, I don't even know who Jesus is. I hope you meet him today. Amen. But for, for a large majority, you're in here because somewhere along the lines, you've placed your faith in Jesus. Somewhere along the lines, you said that, that he's your heart's desire. And so if that's true, are we passionate in our pursuit of him? Are we passionate in our relationship with him where we will line up everything in our life for this pursuit of getting to him? So that was kind of our springboard from last week. And so today, I want to continue on with that. And what I want to focus on today is what are the adversaries of your pursuit? Everybody say adversary. An adversary is someone who's fighting against you, who's warring against you. And so uh, what we'll see is that, that there is a war that is going against you to try to get you to not pursue him. Okay, there are things in your life, we're going to talk about those today, that are trying to get you to not pursue the Lord. And for many in this room, if we were just being honest, myself included, we'd say, those things win a lot. Amen? Those things win a lot. And so what stops you from pursuing Jesus? Galatians 5, 7 gives us this word. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? So I was pursuing the Lord. And I was running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So here Paul says that there's a who trying to cut in on you and get you to stop pursuing. Let's keep going there a little bit more. 
There are adversaries in your life that want to stop you from finishing the race. And again, the word adversary is just one who is fighting against you. Here's how Peter's going to describe it. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter says, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, and then he's going to label it, the devil. The one who's fighting against you for Peter is your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in faith. So he doesn't say, be fearful of him and run and stop pursuing. What's he say? Resist him. Don't let him stop your pursuit of Jesus. But then there's a third one. So, so there's a who that can cut in on you. There's the devil who cuts in on you as an adversary. But sometimes the adversary of pursuit is also you. Sometimes the greatest one who stops your pursuit isn't the devil doing it to you. Someone, sometimes the greatest one who stops your pursuit isn't somebody else cutting in on you. Sometimes the greatest one who stops your pursuit is you. Look what James says in James 1.14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed away by his what? Desire. Own desire. You know, we're really good at saying the devil made me do it. Amen? Devil made me do it. Mm. Did he or was your own desire the one doing it? You see, there is this word here where the devil is definitely our adversary. And he can plant things and he can lie and he can manipulate. But there are times where our flesh rises up and simply just don't want to follow Jesus because I want what I want. I want to pursue the things that I want to pursue. And so we, we want to spend time on those other ones. But today is all about this one, that our pursuit can be hindered by me, by ourself, by my own desire. I want to focus on those. So just three, I, we're not going to have time today. We'll go through these another time. But two quick hits, okay? First thing is people, people can stop you from pursuing the Lord. We talked about that. Who cut in on you? Your pursuit can be hindered if you fear man more than you fear God. Your pursuit can be hindered. Let me give you an example of that. King Saul. King Saul was this way. He got anointed and appointed to be king of Israel. Okay? And he was doing well for a while. And then they win a great victory. And he's supposed to wait on the prophet of the Lord to come make a sacrifice to give praise and honor and glory to the Lord. But Paul sees the people stirring around, and the prophet of the Lord isn't there yet. And he's starting to get a little bit like, oh, they don't like the, this waiting. So he offers up the sacrifice to the Lord while the prophet of the Lord is coming up and sees him. God comes and speaks a word to the prophet and says to rebuke Paul, or to rebuke King Saul. So he rebukes him. Saul kind of takes him over here and says, look, 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 here's really what I care about. Will you make me look good in the eyes of the people? So in that moment, he lost his kingship. Why? Because what mattered to his pursuit more than pursuing the Lord was pursuing the approval of people. So people can stop that pursuit. Real quickly, number two, lies can stop that pursuit. The enemy is really good at lying to you. He's called the father of lies, says that his native tongue is a lie. He can lie to you and get you to not believe something that scripture says is true because he knows the truth, which is the truth will set you free. So if you don't know the truth or if you're hanging out with a lie more than you're hanging out with the truth, then you may stop your pursuit if you buy in to the lies. I'm reading a book right now called uh, Live No Lies. It is rocking my world. It's super good. In fact, I'm going to talk a little bit about some things that he says in here. But it's called Live No Lies. And what he means is the enemy's not so concerned with us telling lies. He wants us to live lies. 
Because if we live lies, then he knows that we're not going to walk in the truth and it'll keep us from pursuing the Lord. But the third one, and this is where we're going to spend all of our time today, all of, all of the time we have left over today. The third one is self. So we've got, we've got the fear of man trying to get us off pursuit. We've got lies that are trying to get us off pursuit. That's the devil. He is the liar. That's our adversary, the liar. And then we've got the fear of, uh, of our own self, or we've got self that, that tries to get us off pursuit, which is that we really struggle with that definition that Jesus gives us. If anyone coming after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Let me just, so I want to spend all of our time about self today, our own desires, our own issues that we got going on. Partial pursuit is not pursuit. Can I hear an amen to that? Partial pursuit is not pursuit. It's laziness and apathy, okay? And, and we can spend a lot of our days going, I'm kind of pursuing the Lord. That's not pursuit. We, we can label like, I'm kind of going after him. That's not pursuit. Because the way that scripture defined pursuit was, I will employ any method necessary to get to him. Got to climb on my hands and knees, done. Got to break a few bottles, done. Whatever it takes to get to him is how I'm going to get to him. So partial pursuit, according to scripture, is not pursuit. Um, let, me, let, me, let me put it in this kind of way. We kind of play a game with God a little bit. Do you guys, anybody ever go skating at the skating rink ever in their life? Any skate? Okay, do you remember like at the skating rink we used to play a game called the Hokey Pokey? You guys remember that? Right? You're skating around like, everybody get to the middle. And then they started singing the song. You put your right arm in, you put your right arm out, you put your, help me out, put your right arm in. What do you do? You shake it all about, you do the hokey, okay, right? And then you get to the end of that song, right? And everybody can do that because you're just standing there on your skates. It's no big deal. In, out, right? Then you got to put your whole self in. Well, this is where the carnage happens, right? You put your whole self in. You put your whole self. You guys know what I'm talking about? You put your whole self in. You do the hokey folk, right? And so we play this game with God. This is what we do. We're like, God, I'll put a little bit in. I'll take a little bit out. I'll put a little bit in, and you can shake it all about, right? But when it comes to my whole self, I won't put my whole self in. Because if I put my whole self in, I don't know what you're going to do with it. This is the kind of game that we play with God. We like to be able to put a little bit in, and then we like to be able to take it back out, and we feel comfortable with that. But that's not the version of pursuit that the scriptures call us to. The scriptures are going to use this language over and over and over again about a whole heart and not a divided heart. Over and over again, he will say, you will find me and seek me. Jeremiah 29, we talked about last week. You will find me and seek me if you seek me with your whole heart. God designed you to live holy for him. Our problem in society today, the problems that you got in your household, the problems that you may have in your heart is that we may not be living in our design, which is that he owns all of me, the whole of me. Psalm 86, 11 tells it much better. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So even these men of God in the Old Testament that encountered his presence, watched what God did, even they were contending with this battle of a divided heart. So what does it mean then for us today, church? What does it mean for us to be given over to one thing? What does it mean for us to go, Lord, I wanna give myself to one thing. Let's define a few things that are out there in the world. If you've been around here, you've heard us use this word before, uh, the word hedonism. 
Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. So when somebody says we live in a hedonistic society, we have an all-unending desire to pursue pleasure or, or sensual desire or self-indulgence. That's hedonism. It's when it's all about just pursuing my desire. In fact, the BBC put out a couple of years ago, they titled this last century, this last hundred years, they put a title on this last hundred years, and this is what the BBC titled this last century, the century of self. That with all the advertising and consumerism that's out there, the barrage that we are facing today in our pursuit is about our self-fulfillment, not our self-denial about our desires, not our self-denial. And so the arrival then for our end game then as people has been about self-fulfillment. In fact, John Mark Comer, the guy that I'm reading the book of, said this about the assumptions that we have about self in our day and age. The assumptions that we buy into about self, whether it be about our identity or whatever it is that we're struggling with today in our society about self. He says there's assumptions that we buy into and here's what they are. This is what we're taught. This is what we hear all the time. This is what's being fed to us on TV and media and news radio and everything else. This is what's being fed to us about self the assumption is number one nobody or nothing should stand in the way of what I want number two if they or it does stand in my way it's a form of oppression you've heard that number three if I don't get what I want I can't be happy so this is fed to us all of this is fed to us, and it's building this self-identity. I, I, no one should be able to st- should stand in my way of what I want, or nothing. N- number two, again, if they do, they're, they're oppressing me in some way. Or three, if I don't get what I want, I can't be happy. Now, here's the problem with this. It's just not the heart of Jesus. <laughs> this is not what, this is flawed in the eyes of Christ. And this is where we've got a war. This is where we've got an adversary going on in our life that's fighting against our pursuit of the Lord. And so what's happened is the rise of self has come in. The self is the new God. It's like, yeah, yeah, God is good, but the self is the new God that sits on the throne of our heart. Where it used to be back in the day, never, you know, deny God. Like, God, put yourself in, God, in front of God. Used to be never deny God. Now it's never deny self in our day and age. And this is why in many ways we've compartmentalized and divided our lives because we resist wholeheartedly as much as possible resist this idea of sacrifice unto the Lord. Jeremy Riddle in his book Reset, I'm going to quote a few things that he says. He says the wholehearted life, the wholehearted devoted life is one of the most difficult things because we resist it the most. It means sacrifice, laying things down, recalibrating our pursuits and desires to give God the one thing that he wants the most. My whole heart, my whole self. He goes on, he says, he goes, what we really want to do is we want to give God something less than that. What we want to do is we want to give God something a little bit more convenient on our end. What we really want to do is give something to God that's a little bit more flexible with my schedule and comfort and pleasures. And what we really want is we want to give God something a little bit less so that we can have freedom to pursue the things that we want to pursue in life. Do you guess what I'm saying? So in other words, this is really what we're dealing with. It's not that we don't want to love the Lord. You're you're here on a Sunday morning. I get it. 
Many of you are involved in life groups and house churches and all these things. It's great. It's awesome. And you're growing. But at the very core, it's not so much that I won't give anything to the Lord. It's will I give him everything. At the core, does this work around my time frame better? Does this work around my flexibility better? Amen? All right. Amen. Amen. So what you see is we, we do love Jesus. Truly, we do. And we do want to serve Jesus, um, but there's still a very self-serving thing at the tail end of that, which is, I do want to serve you because I want to feel good in life, and I think and I believe that you are the essence of life. So if I can work you in my life, eventually I'm going to get something self-serving in my life. Anybody ever seen The Princess Bride? Know that movie? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's a good movie, right? In that movie, the hero dies. Sorry if you haven't seen it, just ruined it, right? You think he dies. And there's this part in The Princess Bride where the hero dies or you think he dies. And so his friends take him to the local, essentially, like, witch doctor. It's a little weird, that part, right? And the witch doctor, in just kind of this funny moment, because it's kind of a comedy, the, he, the witch doctor proclaims him mostly dead. Well, he's mostly dead, right? People get a good laugh out of it. And we're like, that's, that's, it was a, it's a funny scene. But I think for many believers, this is how we live our life, mostly dead. It's a common condition that we live in the Christian life. Christ calls us to come and die, and we go, well, I'm mostly dead. <laughs> I'm mostly dead. And so what we see in Scripture is that resurrection can only happen to who? Dead people. Resurrection can only happen to dead people. So the language in Scripture, and, and Paul just really pounds this home, is that the cross is always going to be the center of our pursuit. You can't go after Jesus and put the cross to the side. The cross must always be our, our, our pursuit of the Lord. Where we're going towards the Lord better look like the cross in the center. And here's what I mean by that. In Romans 6, 3 through 4, Paul says these words. Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his what? Oh my gosh, let's say it together. Death. We were baptized in his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. <laughs> we're getting there. We don't even like to say the word. Death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death. Oh, so proud of you today. <laughs> Hokey pokey with me? All right, later. Um, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. This scripture is very telling of the experience that we have with the Lord. We all want resurrection power and resurrection life. Amen? That's why we're here. We, we all want to experience resurrection power in life. And I love this at the very end. He says that we might walk in newness of life. Well, it's 2023. We all want to walk in newness of life. We love the idea of resurrection power and newness of life. But he says before you get resurrection power and before you walk in newness of life, you must what? First, be united with him in his death. So here's, I love how Jeremy Riddle says it. Uh, we like to skip gospel 101 so that we can jump to gospel 201. I quizzed out of that one, Lord, right? We, 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 we love the idea of resurrection life. We love the idea uh, of newness of life. We do not like the idea of being united with him in his death, which is profound because Paul's going to say, when I roll up into a city to preach, he goes, I don't come with lofty words. I don't come with funny stories. Paul says, when I roll up into a city to preach, I come with Christ and Christ crucified. And a demonstration of power breaks out. Amen? When we put our pursuits through the lens or the way of the cross, 
the cross will always tell us if our pursuits are kingdom-minded or us-minded. Always. The cross reveals if they're self-seeking, rooted in selfish ambition, or if they really are truly a sacrifice for the king of kings. Ryan mentioned it. I'm just going to say it. Man, what I love about that song, we're going to sing that here in just a second again, but what I love about that song about living on the altar, living on the altar, is, is these bizarre words that Paul is going to say again in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is a spiritual act of worship. Now, now you and I, we love that. We, we love, everybody talks about Romans 12, and, oh, it's a spiritual act of worship. I offer my life as a living sacrifice. That was madness in Paul's time. Paul saying that in his time, this is what they knew about a sacrifice. You kill it, you put it on the altar, fire consumes it. So now Paul's going to come in here, and in the Old Testament, they would offer these sacrifices of bulls or rams or goats, and what that would do is that as it was burned, it said it was an aroma to the Lord. Now you might be going, well, what does that mean? It means in that moment, the people realized that they had need of God. So, so many times in their life, they walked away from the Lord, but when they offered a sacrifice, the Lord was going, I know now that while you're doing this, you understand that without me, you are nothing, but with me, you are all things, right? And then all of a sudden, the people are like, well, that's easy. Let's just live our life how we want to. We'll just offer more and more and more sacrifices until it got to a point where the Lord says, I'm sick and tired of your sacrifices. They're no longer an aroma. They're a stench to me. Why does he say that? Because they figured it out like we figured it out. I can still do half-hearted things and still look good. I can still dip my toe in, hokey-pokey it around, but not throw my whole self in. Amen? And so Paul comes along and he's like, no, no, no. I'm not asking you to put a sacrifice on the altar like that. I'm asking you to be a living sacrifice. And in this moment, what we know is this. In the New Testament, the people listening to this word, living sacrifice, what they knew about a sacrifice is it was dead, had no voice, no ability, wasn't going to resist. Yet now Paul's saying be a living sacrifice, which means we get to choose to stay on the altar. We get to choose to be completely surrendered to him, fully dedicated to his purpose, and entirely for him. Now, Paul's no dummy. He understands that this endeavor right here, this is going to war against every single nature in here. Who in the world wants to be laid on an altar? Who in the world would want to give their entire life full control of itself and, and will? Who wants to give that to God? I mean, this is, this is what's warring. Like, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to wave my white flag. This is the war that we have inside of us. And so what you see in scriptures, there are really only two living sacrifices that you read about. One was Isaac. Do you guys remember Isaac? Abraham brings Isaac, and the Lord says, I want you to give me your one and only son. Sacrifice your one and only son. We know the story. Abraham takes him up there. Isaac lays on the altar. He's a young man at the time. He lays on the altar. So we know in that moment he trusts God and he trusts his father. And right then in the very last moment, a ram is in the thicket, and God was going, I just wanted to see if my heart, your heart was really mine. He was the first living sacrifice, got off of it. Then the second was Jesus Christ, who gave his life dead three days later, buried three days later, rose from the grave. He is our living sacrifice, amen? Why is all of this important to us today? Because of this, without surrender, there is no worship. And without sacrifice, there is no offering. There's a story 
Um, I'm not sure I heard this story. I don't know if it's some, this guy said it could be true, could not be true. It's a legend out there about the Crusaders. And he said the Knights Templar, right before they would get ready to go into battle, they would be baptized before they went off to the Crusades. And while they were being baptized, they were baptized in their full armor, because this was to the Lord, right? So they're being baptized in their full armor, but they would hold their swords above the water as if to tell Jesus, you have all of me except for my sword. That part is mine. I'll wield my sword. I'll take my sword in battle. I'll cut down whoever I need to cut down. And I love this illustration that was used. And it says, maybe you and I today, if we were baptized, we wouldn't be holding our swords out of the water. Maybe we'd be holding our wallets out of the water. Maybe we'd be holding our relationships out of the water. Maybe we'd be holding our careers out of the water. Maybe we'd be holding our identities out of the water. Maybe we'd be holding some habits out of the water. Amen. You can have all of me, just can't have this. You can have all of me, just can't have this. This idea of I've been crucified with Christ, I have been, uh, I have, I, I'm dead with Christ so that I can be raised with Christ, except for this part. You see, again, the, the cross is the center of everything. Back to that Jeremy Riddle quote that I love. We, I grew up uh, in church where we were always praying, you know, Lord, bring your fire, amen? Like this, this idea of the fire was that the Holy Spirit comes and God moves and so grew up going, Lord, we want your fire. We want your fire. It was about the power of God. Like, Lord, we want your fire. And so here we are. We're crying out for the fire of God. Come, fire of God, come. And, and so many times the Lord has been going, you're crying out for fire. I'm crying out for the offering on the altar. The fire always came when there was an offering on the altar. So here we are saying, God, bring your fire. And he's going, bring your offering. God, bring your fire, bring your offering. And what's the offering? All of me. Let me give you one more story real quickly. There's a story of this young lad and the story of this aged pastor from a little Scottish church. And he was asked to resign because they hadn't seen no conversions into Christ for the entire year. Small little church. The old pastor, the old preacher, he said it's been a lean year. But there was one person who gave their life to Jesus. And the leadership teams, the elders said, who was it? They said, we Bobby, we Bobby. They had forgotten this lad who had not only been saved, but he had given himself in full consecration to God. You see, it was wee Bobby who during a missionary meeting, when the offering plate was passed, he had nothing else to offer. So wee Bobby puts the offering place on, plate on the floor and then he steps into it. And in that moment of stepping into that offering plate, he cried out, I have nothing else to give but my whole self. We Bobby became the renowned Robert Moffat, with, who with David Livingston gave his life to healing the open sores of the continent of Africa. One of the greatest moves of God in Africa was because some young lad said, I don't have anything else to give but my whole self. I will live on the altar. This morning, I just, I wanna give you a challenge. We, we got about 10-ish minutes. We're gonna sing the song don't think we're done with it oh, oh, oh I will live on the altar I will give what you asked for this morning some of us in this room we're this is war for us because that self wants to get in the way and that pursuit and desires and all of those things want to get in the way what is it that you're willing to lay down today so let me say this, and then we'll, we're going we're gonna to do this. 
I know that you can have an altar in your home, I mean, your, your house, your car, wherever you're at can be an altar to the Lord. I get that, your chair. If you grew up in church, and we've said this a lot, the front was always kind of this place where we said, I'm gonna go to the altar, we call it altar calls. It was this thing in our heart where God stirred something, and then all of a sudden it's like, I, I know I can't sit here, I know I've gotta do something with this, and so I wanna open the altar up today. Turn in your chair if you want, I, I'm fine with that. Go home and do it in your living room, be in your car, it doesn't matter, wherever you want to spend time with the Lord. But I want to open the altar, I want to sing this song, and I want to ask, would you get into that plate today and say, God, it's not about my money, it's not about my possessions, it's not about, it's about all of me for all of you. Would you ask the Lord, Lord, if I went under the water today, what would I be holding up that says, you can have all of me except for this? You can't have this. And today you're going, Lord, you can have all of me and that. What would it look for you today to pursue the Lord in 2023 and not withhold anything back from Him? Will you live on the altar today? Would you become a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord? So Father, we pray in these last remaining minutes, we just pray a heart work, God, on every single heart. We don't want to leave the same way. We want to live on the altar. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about who we are, find us on the Church Center app. See y'all next week.